There was a time not too long ago when it looked like the Blazers might free fall deep into the playing round, but then they turned things around, went 10 out of 12, and now they're headed into the playoffs as a sixth seed. Hello, Blazers fans. I am Aaron Fentress, along with my main man, Joe Freeman, and you are watching and or listening to the Blazer Focus podcast brought to you by Bymar and Fred Meyer, and it is playoff time. I have been waiting for this. The regular season's way too long, but you suffer through it to get to this point, and the Blazers are in it looking strong, as strong as they've looked all season as they head into the postseason with their series against Denver, which could arguably be the team that they beat in the greatest series win in the last 20 years, just two years ago, to get into the West Finals. So, Joe, heading into our first segment here, how'd they do this? What 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 the heck happened? A few weeks ago, I was planning for an early vacation. This thing was going to end in the play-in round, and now they are back. How do you think they turned it around? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. I've been. This is. We all knew this was going to happen all season. Go back to like our first one of doing this. I believe we accurately predicted this. So I don't know what you mean. Pred- predicted what? Oh, at the beginning of the season when we said they'd make the playoffs and be about five or six. Yeah, that's why that's they play. Too- that's why they play, why they 72. play 72 games. <laughs> you just got to ride it out. Yeah. No, it out. it's it's been a pretty miraculous comeback by your Portland Trailblazers. It's been <laughs> uh, fun to watch for sure. Uh, I think it surprised a lot of uh, a lot of haters, no question. And and the uh, the fire stots crowd uh, is probably none too pleased. Now I always wonder <laughs> about that though. Like like if you're a Blazers fan and you're rooting for your coach to get fired, but you're also rooting for your team, like. Like, how does that unfold here at the end? Like, right now, are, are you rooting for a first first round ouster? Are you rooting for a deep playoff run? Like, that's got to be weird for, for a fan they're, base. They're rooting for a title and Stotts to still get fired. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that would be something else. I actually, I actually tweeted a few days ago. I said, we went from, we went from 15 days ago, we went from Stotts is to blame. They're horrible. He needs to be fired, too. Is this the best Blazers team in 20 years or whatever? <laughs> it was just a bizarre flip. But fans seem to still – the fans on Twitter who wanted him gone still want him gone because according to them, they wouldn't – if they had a better coach, they wouldn't be the sixth seed. They'd be one or mm. two anyway. So. All right. Well, I think the, the bigger issue right now is us reevaluating our bet. Oh, gosh. Made fairly recently, I don't know if it was our last uh, gathering or two gatherings ago, but, but – I believe there was an over-under that we made that, that may have – that I think you felt pretty comfortable about a couple of weeks ago, and now now you're, you're probably in regret. I don't know. The face says it all, I guess. Would you like to, would you like to go over, over that again? Yes. He- heading, heading into the last 25 games, we set the over-under at 12-and-a-half. I took under. You took over. They proceeded – that was when they started – that stretch with Milwaukee and then they got blown out by Milwaukee and a bunch of other teams are just getting their heads kicked in every other night. It seemed like, and they began that run three and 10. They were three and 10, dude. So I basically just needed three more losses <laughs> to cover. And then they flipped things around. I think you gave Dame a call and said, Dame, yo, listen, man, I can't lose the bet to Fenders because I'll never hear the end of it. Should I, should I just crack this open now <laughs> to celebrate? Like, like, no, I, pr- I probably shouldn't do that. We probably shouldn't. So they proceeded to win 10 of 12, which means they went 13 and 12 during that 25-game uh, stretch. So once again, for the second time in a row, you were right on a, at a game-winning prediction. I just chalk it up to your, your vast NBA experience. You know, you've got me 14 years to one on the NBA ratio. So I bow to you. 
Mm. The guru of video. NBA predictions. Yes. Hey, this is we, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's not often, so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll admit it. But no, but here's what's, here's the thing, though. The, the point you made during that is like you, you always talk about that this is just how things go. Mm-hmm. And it's the NBA. And they went like this and mm-hmm. then went. Ah, yeah. Like and that. a couple a couple things is, you know, this is is more par for the course than exception under Terry Stotts. This team tends to play its best you know, over the last two weeks to month of a season, they just for whatever reason, it's, it's been their MO. Uh, usually they start kind of after the all-star break is, is when they, or at least recently when they, they kind of start hitting their groove, but uh, they do tend to play their best right before the playoffs. And also, and, and I think we, we mentioned this or, or I sort of uh, focused on it last time is I, I think they knew at least the coaching staff knew, and, and I expected there to be kind of a, uh, a feeling out process or, or an ironing out the kinks or, you know, a lull in, in their play that was, I expected to be more up and down than just straight down. But, uh, you know, as they integrated CJ, as they, you know, integrated Nurkic and as they sort of settled into a rotation, because, you know, if anything, this season has just been so, so not just up and down from a, from a results standpoint, but from a a roster standpoint and and a rotation standpoint and, um, you know, guys in and out and, and, and how Terry and his staff have, have used them. And so um, things really seemed to turn around when he just said, you know what, these are my eight guys. DJJ got, got iced out there. And, and, um, and, you know, here we are, I, I guess, you know, I wonder from your perspective, you, you're in the weeds every day. Uh, you know, a, how, how are we here from your perspective? How have the Blazers done this? And B like, did the did the DJJ stuff was that a surprise to you? Did that did that uh, kind of catch you off guard? And and where's he kind of at with all this? Would you would you guess? Yeah, that's that's still a mystery. Stotts hasn't really talked much about that. Mm-hmm. Um, he said a couple of times, I don't want to disparage mm-hmm. him. So clearly, maybe there were some problems with his play. But I, I mean, I didn't think he was that bad. It wasn't that noticeable to where you think, oh, you got to get that guy off the court, especially with what he brings to you defensively. But he's a liability on offense. And, and I, from my perspective, they just felt like Powell gives you so much more offense than he does and was equal to him defensively. Mm-hmm. And so why are we going to put DJ out there? But for him to disappear completely from the regular rotation. And then when someone gets injured, oh, DJ, you're starting. Like Powell missed the game and DJ started. And then the next time he just barely played or didn't play at all. Um, so no, that, that's been fascinating to see, but I think that's basically come down to Powell, uh, being a good two way player and a way better offensive player. Okay. And what about the larger, the larger, I mean, how, how are we here? You, you had punted on this team a couple of weeks ago. You were counting. Your, I didn't quite, you, you were, you were ready to collect your money that we didn't even, <laughs> and then now, now here we are. Now you, now you're gearing up for a finals run. Yeah. Right. Um, so you, I mean, you mentioned about, you know, the road Figuring out the rotations, getting used to Powell, Nurkic coming back. There were a lot of things that went on in April that were just really negative for this team. And Nurkic came back on March 26th. That was the same day Powell made his first uh, appearance with the Blazers at Orlando. They beat Orlando. They beat Toronto. They beat Detroit. And eh, those games didn't mean anything. When they really got into a tough stretch against some good teams, the lack of chemistry and Nurkic being on a minutes rotation really started to reveal itself. I felt with blowout losses to Milwaukee. I'm looking at right now Clippers. Utah thumped them, then they lost to to Miami. They, they lost by one to Boston. And that was sort of when things started to turn around, that one-point loss to Boston, I thought, because 
not only was Nurkic not fully back, but Powell in the month of April, and not many people have mentioned this, but I thought it was significant. He came to Portland from Toronto shooting 44% from three-point range. You're Portland. You're going to a three-guard lineup, so you're going to be small. Therefore, two of those three guards have to be lights out for you to survive the small lineup, I believe. And this guy comes over and shooting, I write it, 27.8% from threes during the month. In that same month, Lillard had one of the worst months of his career. I did an article on it. I went back and looked at every month he's ever played, and I, it was in definitely the bottom five. I had it one, one or two in the worst month he's ever had in terms of shooting percentage. He was at 39.9% um, for the month, but there was a stretch where he was 37.6 through the first 13 games when they went um, three and 10. And he was only averaging 22 points per game. This is a guy who prior to that was averaging 30 points a game and was an MVP candidate. So the combination of Nurkic trying to work his way back, the tough schedule, Powell couldn't make a shot, and Lillard all of a sudden was playing horribly, mainly because of his body breaking down. The guy was suffering a major amount, a lot of injuries. All those things coincided to a hideous start to April. And then all of a sudden, those things started to lessen. Powell started hitting shots. Lillard got healthier. Nurkic's minutes restrictions got removed. And then the key the, at Indiana, when they beat Indiana, Damian Lillard said after the game that the team, the players, basically just came together and said, we need to cut this crap out and start playing defense. We need to be committed. We need to be, get our hands dirty. We need to play desperate. We need to focus on playing real defensive basketball. And since then, since that point, they have like the one or two best defensive ratings in the league. So that all that coinciding with the decision to play defense by the entire team, including Lillard, who to that point had one of the worst defensive ratings in the league among any player playing a certain amount of minutes, were all huge factors in turning this thing around. You are listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. Talking about Damian Lillard as an MVP candidate. Joe, real quickly, who'd you vote for? It was uh, as difficult an MVP, MVP vote as, as I've had in all the time doing this. I did. Uh, I do think that Dame will be uh, a finalist. I, I, I do think that there will be a split vote, though, which will kind of hurt him and especially hurt his chances at, at being near the top. First of all, before I get into that... I, I think it's clear that Nikola Jokic is the MVP. And I think in basketball circles, it's going to be clear. I believe he will win. And he did get my my vote for, for MVP in the number one hole. Um, I ended up voting Dame fourth. Uh, and it, it, was, it was a difficult vote, especially in the guard kind of realm. Uh, you look at Dame, you look at Steph Curry, you look at Luka Doncic, and you look at Chris Paul. I think they... They were all sort of four guys who were on my my final kind of you know narrowing down uh, the list ballot, and um, I went with Dame four and I went with Steph five, and it, it was very difficult to leave out uh, Luca very and even CP three uh, for all he's done with Phoenix with just a out of nowhere uh, surge to second in the West and and up up to the possible number one seed to the end there. Um, just kind of out of nowhere. And, and I know Monty Williams will, will get rewarded as coach of the year. In fact, he was, he was my pick for coach of the year, but um, it was just really tough because of those, those four guys. And, and I think, 
you know, a lot of it depends on your perspective, uh, which player you like best, which player you think is most deserved. And, and right. I don't fault anyone for how they kind of slotted guys on down the list. I went Jokic. I followed up with Embiid was my number two. Uh, that was – I weighed – I debated that too because I think he was, you know, in the running for one there for the longest time until he got hurt. But he, he only played 50, right. 52, 53 games or something. So it was – I struggled with that. And then Giannis, man, you look at Giannis's numbers and you look at where Milwaukee is. Um, and, and, you know, I think he got dinged a lot because he's a two time reigning MVP and, and his standard is so high. Uh, so I went, I went uh, Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, Dame, and Curry. Uh, again, very difficult, very difficult to narrow down. I, I struggled with the vote until the very end. I always wait until the last second. I always get that, that text <laughs> from the NBA office like, Hey, you're still good to vote today, right? They're due by the end of the day, but I like to take it all into the end. Um, and so I, I, I do think there's going to be a big split with those four guards uh, on ballots, though, which which may hurt Dame, but but I think he's done enough to deserve to be in in that top finalist category. Yeah, I can't agree with. Excuse me, I can't, I can't disagree with any of that. See, I'm programmed to say I can't. I was going to say it's just, it's just embedded in there. It's you're just ready. I can't disagree with any of that. I've been on the Jokic train since February. Just what he's done as a big man with the assist numbers, the most assists for a center since Wilt Chamberlain, over eight per game. Plus, he's at, what, 27 and 11 in the other two categories shooting. I think his effective field goal percentage is well over 60, and he can shoot the three as, as a big man. He's, he's just such a spell, special talent, special player. And and I, back in February, they were still like eight or nine, I think, in the West. But I figured that they were going to rally and move up, and they did. He's maintained um, their status, even with Jamal Murray going out. They still finished uh, third. Yeah, I mean, still finished third, uh, which is impressive, especially with Murray going down when he did. So, yeah, to me, he was number one. It's a shame, though, that Lillard had such a bad April because that dragged him down. I mean, going into April, he was certainly a, a top two, top three a guy, he just had to finish strong with the schedule getting tougher. Schedule got tougher. Team went downhill. He went downhill. Yes, it's not his fault. Injuries played a role in that, but still, it happened, and it's going to cost him a shot, a real shot, at the MVP. And you know they're probably not going to win the title. So had he gotten MVP, I mean, what a huge deal that would have been for the Blazers, for him, for for the city, all the Blazers fans in this town to have something like that to sort of validate how great he is and validate this, this franchise that hasn't won a title in 44 years or whatever. So that, that's too bad. But still, he's having definitely an MVP caliber season. He just won't really be in the final con, uh, t- contention for it. We should, we should marry our, our first <clears throat> go-around at that, at that discussion with our second, and we'll compare which one was better. <laughs> uh, now, moving along a little bit, it's, it's everybody's favorite topic. Uh, well, not everybody's favorite topic, but certainly a, a contingent of Blazers fans, and it is – become, if not the, one of these stories of the second half of the Blazers season. All the speculation surrounding Coach Terry Stotts, who uh, has established himself as, as, as a well-liked leader of this franchise, at least internally. I, I know he is very well-liked uh, among players for the most part, and, and certainly with the players that matter on this team, chiefly with Damian Lillard, who time and time again uh, you know, has backed up his coach and, and spoken, you know, uh, in favor of his coach. But there has been, uh, and I don't know where it came from, you, you know, who, who who is generating it, but a lot of banter about his job status. And, and I wonder, hey, coach of the month, he ends the season as, as the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the what, what month are we in? The May West, coach West of the month. Conference, yeah. Yeah. So uh, good for him. <clears throat> 
from your perspective, uh, you know, being in the weeds as you are, you know, did the did the late run was it enough to uh, to quell some of that talk? Does he need to win, have some success in the playoffs? Is is was he ever you know really in in jeopardy? Was it was it was it fabricated? What, what's what are kind of your views on that? I'm just baffled by the entire thing. Like it, it, again, it's my first year covering this team fully. He's been there nine years. Uh, there's been some criticisms of him, you know, periodically here and there. I think for the most part, they've overachieved the last eight years, more so than they've ever underachieved. And this, to me, was an overachieving year. Like, I do not understand. First, I don't understand how people thought that this was a, a lockdown championship team, no excuses. Like, that to me is just hilariously ridiculous. And then the idea that, okay, the defense didn't really turn around like people wanted them to, but <clears throat> you were down. I mean, Nurkic, we talked about this. Nurkic came in out of shape. Then he gets injured. You're going with him. on the. He's on the bench. Now, Kander's coming, who everyone knows is a negative defender on your interior. Your guards aren't that great defensively. So, yeah, your defense isn't very good in a league where everyone's shooting the lights out from outside. And they struggle defensively. But the fact that they were, a five, they were in fifth place at one point before the slide, and the slide coincided with Lillard having one of the worst months of his career, and then they right the ship. They finished – in this in sixth place in the West, which we all know is super super deep. Clearly, to me, I'm like resign, like extend the guy, right? And and also he said we will be better defensively once Nurk is fully back. And over the last twelve games, they had one of the top two defensive ratings in the NBA. So I don't understand all the crying and whining. Now some people say, oh, he doesn't make adjustments, or he doesn't do this, or he doesn't do that. Okay, maybe. You know, I can't claim to have followed the team long enough as closely as I have this year to, to make that assessment. I just feel like given all that they've been through, that the, where they are is pretty impressive. Now, he, I asked him, <clears throat> I think a week and a half ago, how it was coaching under this cloud. He said, hey, I just coached the team. This is the year, the time of year for speculation. And then after the Denver game, he made a couple of statements commenting on we had a lot of negativity out there. We played through it. We ignored it. Um, basically indicating that they had overcome a lot of adversity, adversity, including people outside of the team saying negative things about him and about the squad. Um, almost, it sounded to me almost like I told, I told you so situation. Uh, so I, it's hard for me to say whether I think he's coached his way out of trouble when I still don't understand why he was ever in trouble. And I never reported that he was in trouble. Other people have, but based on other people's reporting, Based on conversations I have had, it does seem like he has to at least win a series to be safe and maybe two. Because here's the other thing, and I'll let you talk. It may not be a matter of, oh, Stotts is the problem or Stotts has to go. It may just come down to, okay, he's been here nine years. It hasn't happened yet. Maybe they just need a new voice. That could be a thing. Who knows? Yeah, and, you know, it it's a tough subject. Um They've made the playoffs eight years in a row, the longest current active streak in the NBA. Um, it, it's it's a pretty impressive streak considering they have had multiple roster rebuilds. You know, you think about Wesley Matthews uh, rupturing his Achilles. That was a fringe championship uh, contending team. Uh, I, insiders thought. I, I thought so. Um, and then to, to blow up that roster on the fly and – have a bunch of uh, pieces put together and get to the second round of the playoffs that year was arguably uh, one of the better coaching jobs around here in some time. 
and then you know obviously the the Western Conference trip two seasons ago. Uh, outside of of outside of wanting a new voice or changing direction for the sake of changing direction or or uh, as someone I talked to fairly recently called it, you know, Stotts fatigue. Maybe there's a little bit of that inside the organization or, mm-hmm. or just, you know, after nine years, it's, it's very hard for a coach to last this long in one spot. In fact, you know, outside of Spolstra in Miami and Pop in San Antonio and uh, Carlisle in Dallas, no coach has lasted this long. I believe Terry is the fourth longest tenured coach at one one place in the NBA and so there's a reason for that it, it's a the volatile stressful uh, high pressure situation that that doesn't lend itself for for this type of stability but the Blazers have leaned on their stability and use that to a, their advantage uh, over the years and have been outspoken about how that has helped them um, through the course of, of of their tenure through through let's not forget Neil Olshay and Terry Stotts have been here for the essentially the same duration so I guess it depends on what side of the coin you, you fall on, whether it's roster construction or coaching or some combination of the two of where this team is at. Um, and also how, how you feel about the season as a whole. But what was weird about the, the talk at the time was the season wasn't over. We don't, we don't know what's going to happen. So, so, you know, right. let's see what happens here in the next couple of weeks uh, to month. And, and then, then you can kind of judge the full picture, but you know, I will say it's one of those things where your own expectations sometimes get in the way. I think I don't know how many people thought this team was a championship contender, but people inside the organization, specifically, you know, Dame and 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 higher ups, came out over the last couple seasons and, and thought they were on the cusp of that. And some of that talk was a little quieter this year, but. Dame has been very adamant about saying, I want to win a championship. This means a big, big deal to me. I want to do it here. He just came out a few days ago and talked about wanting to have a parade down Broadway. And so when you talk about that stuff, you set those expectations, not only for yourself, but as an organization. And when you fail to meet those, uh, someone, you know, kind of, kind of as a fall guy or someone. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that's one way to, to look at it also, I guess. I feel like with, Nurkic healthy, McCollum healthy. I think they're probably worth you know another six or seven wins, which, which, which would have put them at forty-eight, which would have put them third. Then I don't think there's as much whining. I think it's unfair to hold a coach to a standard of winning forty-eight, fifty games in this type of season with your second and third best player missing sixty games. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, and you look at like Doc Rivers and the Clippers. They didn't. They didn't. You know, reach expectations last year. So Doc Rivers gets moved out for whatever reason. He goes to Philly, and, oh, look, they have the best record in the league. Clippers mm-hmm. finished fourth. Obviously, the Clippers are going to be a contender. So sometimes it seems like in the NBA more than any other league, they'll just move coaches around just to move coaches around, mm-hmm. just you know, get that different voice, so to speak. I feel like if he does get fired, he's going to get a job, like, right away. I can't believe there aren't NBA teams out there who look at what he's done with this team and, over the years. And feels like, oh, we want that guy. He's gonna, he's gonna. Our offense is gonna be awesome. He's proven that he can win. He hasn't won a championship yet, but has he really had a championship roster? I don't think he has. So it's gonna be fascinating to see what happens this offseason. Me personally, I'm not looking forward to covering a coaching search. I'd rather not. <laughs> um, but you know, sometimes you know, strange things happen in the NBA. I will say this too, though. You know, not that a player is ever on Zoom gonna say, oh, throw the coach under the bus. But I've asked Lillard. You know, is the 
you know, was it the players or was it the coaches? He said it was the players. The players had, you know, he said the coaches prepare us. We have to go out and do it. And a lot of times fans don't want to say that. They want, they want to think, oh, the players, they're all great. They're marvelous. It's that idiot on the bench. I know I can't play like the players, but I can coach. I can coach mm-hmm. like Stotts. I can, I can roll the ball out there. I think sometimes people actually think that. Um, and so that leads them to blame the coach when other teams beat the Blazers because it couldn't possibly be the players' fault. It must be the dumb coach. Um, yeah, a so- cu- couple couple things I would add. I agree with you 100%. Uh, Terry will land a job if he wants one this coaching cycle if right. he were to be to be let go um another thing is you know talking about doc doc kind of brings a, an incredible coach a championship coach obviously there is a certain amount of for whatever reason drama that tends to surround wherever he coaches and mm-hmm. and either he gets done with the organization or the organization gets done with him or some type of combination i mean he's coached obviously the celtics and the, and the clippers and, and now he's in philly he's been at some iconic destinations uh, and he's won at every stop along the way, there has been very little to no drama from the coaching standpoint, from, from the, right. at least outwardly. And, and Terry goes uh, outwardly, annoyingly so to us, uh, the media, <laughs> to protect his players. Um, and, and he really has a reputation for that. And, you know, I've talked a lot over, over the years about, about Portland isn't a, a sought-after destination, until players come here, every time players come here, Carmelo Anthony, case in point, they really love playing here. Between the – this is about basketball atmosphere, between the fan base, the passionate uh, love of, of basketball and the Blazers, and the no-drama atmosphere, they they really tend to fall in love with it uh, as long as you're not here for quote-unquote lifestyle. If you don't want the New York or L.A. lifestyle, it, it's an incredible destination. And a lot of that is set from the top down. Uh, mm-hmm. Not just an ownership, but a but a GM and coach, and so um, you know a lot of that has to weigh weigh on it. And you know, let's not forget Nate McMillan was fired. Uh, what has he done now? You, you know, he had a good run in Indi- Indiana, and he has led the he- the Hawks <laughs> right. from mid mid season firing to to into what the fifth seed in the East. It's it's crazy. So, like you said, there there's a recycling of coaches more so in the NBA, NFL too, I guess, but more than anywhere else, and. Sometimes there's there's no more rhyme or reason than just change for the sake of change. So what do you think? Is he, is he gonna survive? I don't. I don't. It, it, again, <laughs> uh, a it's it's too early, and B I don't. I don't know. I don't know where the genesis of this reporting is from. You know, is it? I, if it's from an ownership standpoint, then maybe the ownership's already made its mind. I, you know, I haven't heard that, so I can't say that for sure. The the source of this has obviously not been identified, so it could be anybody, and who knows what the agenda of that source is. I will say the the respected, like, I can't remember how it was phrased, but the, the pool of coaching candidates that was rumored to be replacing him didn't match up with the the stated desire of, of coach that, that they were looking for to replace Terry. So well, from that Jason standpoint... Kidd, Chauncey Billups, Mark Jackson, and Vanderpool? Yeah, well, I bet he wasn't on the list, was he? I've heard. I mean, some. I don't know if he was on the list. I've heard people throw his name out there. Yeah, because I guess because of his relationship with Damon with, CJ. But uh, right. Yeah, I mean, Chauncey Billups has never coached, so you're going to throw a first time coach into into the or it, Jason Kidd, really? Mark Jack? I don't. I don't. I don't see it. Uh, at least not not with that with that list. I mean, to me, just hire. 
if you're worried about the defense, you think he needs defensive help, hire a good defensive assistant. You know, and yeah. just go from there. But anyway, I, I personally think he's going to be fine. Like, I don't think they have another coach in mind who's going to be better. I don't know if there's another coach out there who's flat out better who's looking to come to Portland. And I, I think they're going to end up retaining him, which will send some fans into orbit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Hold on, I'm trying to call up some stats here. Okay. How do we yeah. see this series? Got to get the stats. How do we see yeah. this series, man? What, what's what's go, what's going to happen? What's well, call? I mean, do you want me to just straight give you my prediction, or are you like like? Well, uh, I mean, obviously, me, man. obviously, the fo- the focal point of everything is is the presumed MVP. I mean, he's he's probably the um, you know one or one A best player on the court. You, you have two MVP candidates who will square off. We played vastly different games. Um, we have a rematch, different personnel across the board than two years ago, an epic, uh, seven game series, one in the last, you know, the last minute, uh, arguably the best series. What's that? Of game seven on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, incredible on mother's day, by the way. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it's, uh, the drama is there. Uh, it's, it's, it's too bad that, you know, Jamal Murray isn't a part of it, that, that both teams aren't healthy. And, And, you know, obviously that plays to the Blazers' benefit. They're they're also without Will Barton and and someone else whom I'm I'm spacing with. Um, so it, it's going to come down to, you know, is Michael Porter Jr. ready for this moment? Right. He he is he is among you know arguably their second or third most important player now. Aaron Gordon, who's never you know he's been toiling in in uh, Orlando for years out of the spotlight. Is is he ready for? for this and and a lot of times these matchups in these series come down to playoff experience and for the first time in a long time the Blazers have you know if not the edge are are right there and and I think any expert or or any metrics by whatever measure you you look at this series it's at at worst a, a coin flip of who wins this yeah I am leaning Blazers because Murray's out I think that really hurts Denver because their backcourt is now very iffy. And Barton with his hamstring is going to be iffy for the series as well. I mean, he may return at some point, but how good is he really going to be? So their backcourt is pretty marginal. Uh, Dame is just back to being MVP caliber Dame. And with Nurkic able to put a body on Jokic and at least make him work, I think that all overcomes the obvious height advantage issues with Porter Jr. out there at 6'10 or whatever he is, and then Aaron Gordon at 6'8" someone, one of the small guys who have to guard one of those two guys at, at some points, well, it's going to be Powell. He's going to either end up on Porter or on Gordon. That's clearly at advantage Denver. But I do believe that with Murray out, if Murray were playing, I'd be like, yeah, it's over. They're, they're, Denver's going to win this series. But with the way the Blazers are playing, Lillard being hot right now, I think they're going to, I think they're going to take it. I think they're going to take it in six or seven. It's going to be a fun series. And the Blazers are going to survive the first round. I can't believe I'm saying this, but <laughs> based on where they were three weeks ago, but yeah, I think they're going to win this series. Uh, hold, uh, hold the fire, but we agree. Uh, I, I think the, I think the Blazers <laughs> are going to win in six and move on to the second round. Uh, and I don't going back to the conversation. I don't know what that does for for Terry's job status, but it certainly uh, certainly makes for a fun postseason around here. Not having Jamal Murray. Denver's strength a couple of years ago was their depth, uh, their right. depth and, and their their potential defense against Damon CJ and the Blazers <clears throat> still won. And and so now, you know, from that team, you, you don't have uh, I'm spaced on some of the guys, but you don't have Tory, you know, Craig, 
to, to guard some of these guys. And, and Denver has, has, you know, traded away some of its depth to have, you know, to get the Aaron Gordons and, and they've, they've thrust Michael Porter Jr. In, into a more prominent role. So not having, you know, their, their 1A and 1B player there with Jamal Murray is, is really a backbreaker to them. And, and those types of absences usually get exposed uh, in the playoffs over, you know, with the course of a, of a seven game series. And so um, between that and just the way the Blazers are playing and, and, you know, I have a hard time counting out a Damian Lillard led team uh, in this type of situation. You know, I've just seen it too many times before. And so I've got the Blazers in six, Aaron. Also, you know, the first loss at Denver came after they got blown out by Phoenix, and that was without CJ and Nurkic. I think they lost by five or six points. The second loss came by one point. And I, there was someone else, I think, missing in that game. And then anyway, they they uh, they took them down very easily in the, in the last game. Granted, Denver didn't care. But there's no track record that says Denver head-to-head is flat-out better than Portland, even though they won the season series 2-1. to one. And I think because of the injuries that Portland had, especially in that first game, I think there's more evidence that suggests that Portland is better. And had they been healthy all season long, and granted Murray has missed about a month or whatever, but still, had Nurkic and CJ been healthy, I think they would have finished ahead of Denver. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think Portland's a better team right now. I think they win this series. I, I could go six or seven either way. Yeah, and and really the West is as wide open as as, as it's been in, in a while. And, and you know, with Phoenix 2 and, and Utah 1 – you know, you question their lack of postseason uh, experience. You know, they haven't. Neither one of Phoenix hasn't been in forever, and 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 Utah, uh, you know, keeps getting beat in the first round, or and certainly not going deep otherwise. And so, uh, that's a lot to play in the Blazers' favor. And it was clear, you know, over the course of the last uh, three or four days that teams were playing to avoid the Blazers in the first round. I don't think, (laughs) I don't think anybody wanted to play them obviously. And so Denver kind of had to back in in a weird way to to the third seed to get the Blazers. And so, um, you know, I don't think uh, Clippers obviously didn't want them and, and Denver didn't probably would prefer not to play them. So uh, again, the Blazers are playing as well as they have all year. They're as healthy as they have been all year, and uh, and and nobody wants to play them. So uh, I, it's a tough out in the first round, I guess I'll say. Now let's assume the Lakers beat the Warriors and get the seventh seed, so they would play Phoenix. So that means if Portland beats Denver, their second-round matchup would be Phoenix or the Lakers. I would assume a healthy Lakers team beats Phoenix. Therefore, we could uh, – to me, if, if Portland plays Phoenix, I think they have a – that's a coin toss series to me. Um, Portland could definitely win that series with the way they're playing. Lakers, though, no. I, I would take Lakers all day because they have really good defensive guards and LeBron and AD plus Drummond. It's just ridiculous if those guys are healthy. They're going to roll right through the Blazers. So Blazers fans definitely root for Phoenix in the first round. Heck, heck, root for Golden State to knock them down, and then hopefully mm-hmm. maybe uh, the Memphis Grizzlies or San Antonio Spurs can knock them off and get the Lakers out of there. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's what you want to hope for first and then root for Phoenix if that doesn't happen. Yeah, I saw uh, today uh, the the Los Angeles media is saying that Anthony Davis says he's fine and LeBron James practiced and said he will play uh, in game one or in the play-in game, uh, first game for, for the Lakers. So um, it, what a weird scene where the Lakers are, are the, the potential seventh seed. And, and, and I will say the thing about that team obviously is, is injuries and, and can they stay healthy? Not just LeBron who hasn't played in so long, but, but Anthony Davis, who, who is, you know, chronically injured. And so, you know, that's 
No, that's that man. I don't know. We'll see how how that unfolds and how that first round unfolds. Because you get a hungry Phoenix team, and I know I just uh, demean their lack of playoff experience, but how fun was that Blazers Suns game the other night? That, oh, that went down. Yeah, that went amazing. down to the wire, and and so you know it's kind of a <clears throat> you know butting heads of styles there. It, it would be interesting. It'll be a fun series to watch. Okay, last thing. Who's winning the title? Give me a prediction. Uh, Aaron Fentress for surviving <laughs> the season. Congratulations. You're close. My friend, you're, you're almost there. I believe in you. Thank you. Thank you. Making the adjustment from a 16 NFL, 16 game NFL season to a 12 or 13 game college season to 72 NBA games, even though I didn't mm-hmm. have to travel. Thank goodness. Yes, it was definitely an adjustment period. So I do appreciate you acknowledging that given that you suffered through, suffered through 14, 82 game seasons. Um, anyway, but you're, so you're not going to give a prediction. Is that what you're saying? No, I don't, I don't know. Oh, well, we'll talk again man. after the next round on, where I find man. out who's playing who. I'll, <laughs> let, I'll let you make the predictions. Okay, I've got Nets. If, if the Nets are healthy, the combination of Durant, Harden, and Kyrie will not be touched. I don't care about their defense. You think Kyrie care. Irving, who's talking about the the awful stuff going on in the, in the Middle East right now, <laughs> and his mind is elsewhere, is – Gives two iotas about a first round playoff series with the Nets, who have uh, James Harden. Is it a hamstring or whatever he's got going on? And KD, who uh, if what, you think that is the I model of if, stability? I said if they are healthy, no one's going to touch them. Now, if someone gets injured or what have you, or Kyrie leaves the team, I can't control that. I'm just saying if they are healthy, they won't be touched. Now, if you want to factor in all these other things, you know, I can't. I can't predict what's going to happen with the team personality-wise or injury-wise, but I do think by far they are the best team when they're all rolling. I think it's, uh, you know, looking out of the East, call me crazy, but I think Milwaukee is is kind of lurking in the shadows there. Uh, you got a team that, that flamed out early and has struggled in the postseason. <clears throat> they kind of, you know, reevaluated and, and retooled their lineup to for that reason. Uh, and a Drew Holiday Giannis combo in the playoffs. Mm, that's spicy. That that that's uh, that'll be fun to watch. They're my keep an eye out for them. Remember now, Ooh. that's my dark horse East team right there. So you're picking Milwaukee in the East? Okay, I didn't say that. If I can get you to pick someone in the West now, my dark dark horse. <laughs> it's my dark horse Eastern team. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll leave it there then. You're a chicken, and I pick the Nets. Just That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I could take it. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Nets. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Blazer Focus Podcast brought to you by Bymar and Fred Meyer. We'll be back again soon as the Blazers roll along during the NBA playoffs.